It's time! It is go time! Are you ready to go? Cause it's time to go! If you've just gotten here, then get ready to go again. If you're looking forward to stopping, you have to pull up a new podcast. Cause we're all about going, baby. Two letters. Big mileage. John, do you have something on your wrist? Is it a watch? Because I'll tell you what time my watch says. Go? It says go! Yeah. What about your watch? It says don't listen to the lunatic on the other side of the thing. (laughs) You got to get a new watch, baby! (laughs) It says thing, too. (laughs) It's broad. It's a big watch you got. Could be a bridge, (laughs) could be a road, could be a FaceTime interface. (laughs) Who knows? Everybody, welcome to Mad About Mad About You, your Mad About You recap podcast. My name is Russ Fader. And my name is Jonathan Marbley. Ooh. I wanted to change up the way I say it. Jonathan, you really ate that up. You really made a meal out of your name there, Mr. Jonathan. I really did. I like it. Very classy. Thank Mm. you. You've got a monocle over your glasses. You have too many lenses on your face right now. Yeah, I have two monocles Mm -hmm. connected with a... (laughs) Plastic or acrylic frame. <laughs> there has to be an easier way With to extensions it. that go around my ears to keep yeah. them in place. In pl- <laughs> Thank God we have ears so that our glasses could stay where they're supposed to be. Hey, Russ, what are we here to do? Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Which one? Which one are we on now? Which episode of Mad About You? We're okay. going to talk about it. I'll tell you. We're on season mm-hmm. three, episode nine. Yeah. We're not even halfway through the season yet. But we are a third of the way through the season. Well, we're more than a third of the way. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that. I think that's a fun way, a nice way of looking at it. Look how... More than a third of a way? Yeah, we're more than a third of the way through the season. That's a nice, fun way of looking at it? Yeah. <laughs> well, what were you, lunch today, and you got like through a third of the sandwich and said, hey, guys, I just want to take a step back and point out, oh, wait, let me take one more bite. Okay, now I can officially say we are (laughs) a little more than one-third through this sandwich. Everybody was so excited. This is going to be a weird one. We're both tired. (laughs) We're both very tired. You are rushing me for the first time in our lives. Yeah, because, oh my God, we'd still be in the intro talking about going, staying, leaving, coming. That's a great point. So this is episode 55 of Mad About, Mad About You. The episode of Mad About You that we're covering is called Once More with Feeling. Yes, Aired December 8, 1994. Correct. You want to hear the TV Guide thing? Very much. (laughs) I can't hear you guys. (laughs) It's chilly in Jamie and Paul's bedroom. Even though they insist to each other, their lovemaking is hot. Okay? That's not accurate. No. In a manner of speaking, maybe. I don't care for chilly. Yeah. It sounds like Mr. Wicker has to get involved. Which maybe (laughs) if he had, it would be a different episode. There you go. I'd watch that. Sure. I don't know what that says about me, but yeah, I'd watch the Jamie and Paul and Mr. Wicker getting it on episode. Yeah, it says you'd love the show Real Sex on HBO. That's what it is. (laughs) Oh, we cracked it. Yeah, this is a little too cute, right? I think I agree. Yeah. Yes. No, thank you, writer. Try harder. I think we could safely assume, though, the viewers at the time knew to only trust TV Guide so much. Sure. When it came to apt descriptions. Yes. Yeah. I wonder 
how differently a TV Guide writer approaches a show in its first season than a show in its third season. You know yeah, I mean? there's a confidence to it that maybe yeah. lets them get a little too carried away at times. Maybe they, with the, the older ones, with the shows that are more long-running, they take the audience for granted. They're like, they're going to watch or they're not going to watch. They know all of these people, all of these things. I can just write whatever. Yeah, that's true. It's like they know the deal. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, guess what? Newsflash, Paul and Jamie get into it. <laughs> Again. There should be way more sarcastic TV guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you'll never believe this. Paul has a complaint. <laughs> hey, geniuses out there. Jamie does a neurotic thing, and Lisa is wacky this time. <laughs> Were you sitting down? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> Man, oh, man. I'd read that. Television happened if you want to know about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, tell me. You're watching NBC. It's not going to improve much from your initial response. Oh, wait, really? It stunk this week? No, it's pretty neat. I'm interested in what you think about it, actually. This was not on the night that this episode of Mad About You aired. Okay. Because there were a few weeks off between. There's last week we yes, had our Thanksgiving right. episode, and then we have... Uh, and then we had our real-life Thanksgiving. Yes, and in one of those intermediate weeks, at 10 p.m. on NBC oh, on I November 24th. a special coming, right? 10 p.m. NBC, November 24th. Uh-huh. Abbott and Costello meet Seinfeld. It's a thing that was on. Oh, my goodness. The eyes, the big eyes and big smile on John Marbley right now. Yeah, pretty neat. <laughs> I don't believe it. It's true. It's YouTube, and it's not quite what you want it to be. Like, it's not like when it they met him, Frankenstein. Is it him talking about Abbott and Costello? Yeah, it is. For an hour? Yeah, he's the MC, and they put in clips, and they... And Abbott and Costello did da-da-da-da-da. And it's and on YouTube? Yep. I mean, if there was any Virgil I'd want... Let me put it this way. There's no Virgil I would want more to take me through the circles of Abbott and Costello than Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> He does an okay job. I watched a little bit of it. Ouch, scathing. Yeah, okay. okay. It got a D. It I got don't a have it D? up. It got a D plus from Entertainment Weekly. Well, of course it did because it. Oh yeah, sorry, there were no car explosions on Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> That's all they loved. Yeah, That's there was all no they filth. No, just, just filth. good old fashioned uh, goofballs meeting monsters. Basically, what happens on this thing? It was pretty neat. I didn't get to watch all of it. Is there an audience, Jerry? Um. When he's speaking to camera, he's okay. So but it's then there's like also a doc. like the yeah. There's also the you know because he's on a stage and they're doing stagecraft around. He him. is like on they're a putting stage. Things up. Yeah, they're putting things up. They're building the set, and he's doing bits about like, can you please hold the hammering and that sort of thing. Oh, I can totally see it yeah, with the at eyes least bulging. For the beginning, like yeah, turning. Hey, can you beginning. please hold the hammering? Except I would love for him to have given a read as good as the one that you just did. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> You're hired, John. <laughs> I got to watch. This is the, honestly, Russ, I could say, I know I maybe sometimes say I'd watch whatever you go on about, but this right. is the first time I mean it. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitively watch this. I'm sure you will. I can't wait. They talk a good amount about who's on first and about Who? Jerry. What? He talks about the uh, who's on first bit. Jerry Seinfeld does. Who does? Jerry. Jerry's on first. It's very hard to do the bit with one real name. 
<laughs> and when that name is not the word, it doesn't have another meaning. Right. <laughs> That's fun. Oh, man. Yeah. Do they, they talk, talk about, about it in the same it? way that uh, Studio 60 talks about it? With great reverence and esteem? Yeah, and with a condescension towards <laughs> Nate Cordry's parents. I don't think so. Do you so. remember that? I haven't seen the show. Oh, ever? Nope. Oh, right. I saw Judd Hirsch's monologue. Oh, it gets way better than that, or more. It gets way longer than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very fun. Sure. It's a special it little out. thing that nobody liked, but it's pretty that good. nobody liked. <laughs> but there's a point where, like, Nate Cordry's parents just don't get sketch comedy and how important yeah. it is and how much it changes the world. Oh, really? And he buys them the record of uh, who's on first, and they'd never heard of it. And he is so condescending. It. It's unbelievable. It's like, oh, dude. Actually, D.L. Like Hughley calls him out. And don't realize it can change the world. Oh, my God. I'm paraphrasing, of course. No, I'm sure that is a precise nutshell of everything that Aaron Sorkin has ever done. Well, he says to his parents, he's like, no, no, no. no. Skits are when the football team dresses up in tutus. Sketch comedies when the greatest comedic minds in the world get together. <laughs> Leave it to that guy to take something that I agree with and make me hate him. <laughs> He's the best, though. I love him. Oh, wonderful. Did you know they, a couple of little tidbits that I found out about Abbott Oh, Abbott please. No spoilers, though. That hey, I spoiler alert, everyone. There might be some spoilers to Abbott and Costello meet Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> in the next few so, minutes yeah yes so skip ahead if you don't want to hear go ahead we'll go beep beep yeah and then you'll you can come back in skip ahead like 40 minutes yeah <laughs> did you know that the split between the two of them was 60 40 what yeah. why because one of them wrote more or what abbott made sick got 60 percent and costello got 40 percent because back in the day <laughs> because he's he's 20 percent bigger <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, you because Abbott was the straight man. And back then they said the funny guy is a dime a dozen. You can find a funny person anywhere. A good straight man is. Wait, who got what? Worth Abbott got 60 percent. Oh, I'm like, yeah, he's not bigger. (laughs) Good for them. Yeah, I got mixed up. Yeah. How embarrassing. Um, That's interesting. That's surprising. They really value the straight man that much. Right. Isn't that something? Yeah. That changed. Yes. That would be like if David Spade got like 60 and Chris Farley got 40 and Tommy Boy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's going to work. They were like, yeah, this movie doesn't work without David Spade. (laughs) It's funny how. But, you know, it it, doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. No, they're both very. They're both very valuable. That's why it works. I think a good 50 50 is fair. Sure. It's the literal definition of fair. Yeah. I can't believe he didn't murder him. You think you think that Spade was behind Chris Farley's death? No. Oh, Why? oh, that's not. Uh, I don't know. That's what you said. No, I'm talking about Abbott and Costello. Oh, okay. Well, then I went someplace terrible. Yeah, real bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was an inside job. <laughs> I also like that our most modern update of what a good straight man is is David Spade. From the Chris Farley movies. From 1990. From 1992, yeah. <laughs> they don't make them like that now. Okay, no, fair, fair enough. Paul Rudd from 40 Year Old Virgin. Great, 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 great. <laughs> 2004 or five. <laughs> Another thing I learned so they had uh, movies back then about where they were in war. Yeah, Abbott and Costello of were army sure. people. Because everyone was in the army back then. Yes. So it was relatable. Yes. The Japanese watched these movies. Really? And 
thought that they were just lousy American propaganda men. No, they were oh like, oh my gosh, yeah, they were like, look at how bad the American army is, how bad they are being soldiers. We're going to mop up the floor with them. Did they really? Look, that's what Jerry Seinfeld said, and I believe everything Jerry Seinfeld's ever said. Isn't that a little hard to buy? I'm just telling you what I heard. John. These were people with brains. Yeah, here's what happened. They Who also had cinema in yeah, their own country. They, they devised a very covert military attack, secret, completely surprised the right. US. They dragged us into a world war. Yep. Yet then when they, they saw watched, Abbott and Costello. They watched Abbott and Costello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And thought, this is pretty real. Look yeah. at how bad they are. We, I don't, we don't understand fiction. <laughs> Let me tell you something about sketch comedy, John. <laughs> sketch comedy can fool the greatest war military yeah, mastermind. Yeah, I didn't know Abbott and Costello was just a big disinformation campaign. <laughs> well, now you do. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> wow. Oh, so that is Abbott and Costello meet Seinfeld. That's really fun. I'm really going to watch that. I can't wait. Cool. I hope Let it's seven hours. Think. 45 minutes with a tracking problem going through the middle of the whole thing. Oh, I like a little good. Oh, a little, little tracking problem. A little good Nice cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Warms Feels me good. like a hot cocoa. You don't get that too much anymore. You sure <laughs> don't with these DVDs. Don't you hate mm. it? Just a crisp picture I all the way through. I miss the old days. Yeah, just give me a knob. Doesn't even have to do anything. Just something I can twitch with. I want something where I missed the first four minutes of the movie because I turned it on a little bit too late, and so I'll never know how it began. Yeah, well, that happens now. Just go yes, to the movies do. late. I did pick the one thing that is still the case. Yeah, I mean, I went to, uh, <laughs> I saw the new Johnny Knoxville film. That's too bad. I had a choice I, as we walked down the you had a choice between doing that and not doing that, <laughs> and you chose wrong. <laughs> well, I didn't want to see a horror movie, and those are all the rage right now. Sure. So we bought so the Johnny Knoxville tickets, and as we're walking down, Johnny Knoxville was on one side of the hallway at the theater. No, no, not the guy. I mean the movie. And oh. uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's documentary was on the other side. Uh-huh. And I walked into an empty theater with my friend Andy. And watch oh the entire, gosh. but it was fun because you could talk through it because no one was there. That's true. That is a fun way to see. Also, a movie. can you imagine if at this movie theater, Johnny Knoxville was standing on one side of the hallway and Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> was on the other side? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, keep him away from her. Whoa, 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 Ruth Bader. No, take that firecracker out of your robe. <laughs> I love the idea of them talking trash to each other about the other's movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or barking. Trying to get really, I feel uh, like praising it's more likely. <laughs> I could totally you know see her liking right. Jackass. Yes, and he would absolutely be a big fan of hers. Yeah, thank you so much for everything you did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, everything I've done, I'll never forget when you put that car in a condom. Yeah, you know how many decisions you've influenced. <laughs> <laughs> You're the reason we have freedom of speech in this country. <laughs> yeah. Gay marriage wouldn't be a national thing right now if it hadn't been for Jackass 4 3D. <laughs> oh, my gosh. John, please tell me what was in the news. From WNBC-TV, this is News 4 New York with Chuck Scarborough and Pat Harper. Dateline. Do, 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 do. Go ahead. Speaking of horror... Meter Reader discovers human skeleton in Queen's basement. Yeah. We haven't had one of those in a while. 
No, we have not. But this one's not that. Well, okay, sure. I guess if you really think about it, it's depressing. But, you know, it's sort of like creepy New York. I was intrigued. Sure. There was a giant cobweb stretching across part of the room, and right behind, beyond it, under the stark glare of a bare ceiling light, was a fully clothed skeleton sitting erect in a kitchen chair. That's terrifying. Very psycho. Why is it clothed? Right. That's so off-putting. Yesterday, Captain Donald Kelly identified the skeleton discovered on Thursday in the basement of his house. Do we get the house address? Wait, I assume the house is the skeleton's house, right? Probably. That's how he didn't that find one in his own me. basement. How many skeletons we got in this town? Yeah, yeah, hey, how many skeletons you got in your basement? He said, yeah, no, of course they give the address. So if anyone wants to go snoop, (laughs) it's in Queens. Rico Park, remains of a 69-year-old mechanical engineer. But nobody knows how he died and was allowed to decompose. And they said there's nothing to indicate commission of a homicide. The ME said that an autopsy was completed yesterday, but that the results would not be available pending further toxicological examination. The police at, said the Brooklyn Union Gas Company had been trying to read the gas meter in the basement of the Lee House for at least a year. Finally, armed with a court order and flanked by a city marshal and a locksmith, a meter reader gained access to the house Thursday morning after ignoring a request by Mr. Lee's wife, quote, not to go down to the basement. After pushing their way through the sticky cobweb, the gang collectively gasped. The gang. I added gang, but it just collectively gasped sounds like a Scooby-Doo beat, you know? I was going to say, was Scooby down there? Yeah. They collectively gasped when they found Mr. Lee's remains still dressed in a blue and white sweater, beige slacks, and black slippers. Jinkies. Nearby was was an empty (laughs) pill bottle that contained antidepressants. Oh, this is actually getting real sad. His wallet was still in his pants. Wow. They've lived in the house for 17 years. They said the wife is not regarded as a suspect. Interesting. Is not regarded. Yeah. The wife who said, don't go into the basement with the, my skeleton husband is not regarded as a suspect. Yeah, that's weird, right? Although I guess, I mean, I don't know how much you have to do to determine whether something is or is not a homicide. Yeah. And also she could have just been upset about the cobwebs and stuff. <laughs> Do you think she didn't even know that he was down there? Yeah, she was like, don't go down there. It's a mess. Don't go down there. Yeah. There's cobwebs. Also, whatever you're looking for, I'm sure it's not down there. <laughs> a neighbor recalled seeing him a month ago. So I think the medical examiner was the one it said the forensic experts report that under certain conditions, a body could decompose and become a skeleton in a matter of weeks. Really? Yeah. The police said the basement was overheated, creating a condition that could accelerate the decomposition of a body. I did not expect that. Me neither. Ah, this town, there is a horror show behind every door. Wowie. Dateline. Go ahead. As magicians hone art, presto, woman appears. Okay. I think you know where this is going. (laughs) It was three o'clock in the afternoon, and as on every Saturday, the back room at Ruben's Restaurant on Madison Avenue. How did I not look this up to see if it was still a restaurant? I don't know. I think it's pretty great that when it comes to restaurants, they're real vague with the location. Just on Madison. <laughs> yeah, finally, a, right? Yeah. But yeah. if it's uh, someone committed a horrible a deed, murder it's like... A suspect. It's like, here's go what, get the, here's what yeah. their living room looks like. Oh, man. Arnold Rubin. Do you think he invented the Rubin sandwich? Probably not, but also maybe. He started How's this deli... Non-committal? Well, he started it in 1908. Okay. How old could that sandwich possibly be? That's a great point. I mean, were times a little too tough to be naming sandwiches before then? <laughs> like, did well, they name well, sandwiches during the Civil War? I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a really did, narrow 
I think There's it might have got something. There's a real narrow window there. There's a what? To name sandwiches. There's a real narrow window to name sandwiches. And 1908 is just before it because World War One's yeah. about to happen. Yeah, you're not naming a sandwich during the big war. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, I feel so bad. I assume the big war was World War Two, and it was. But to the people that didn't know World War Two was coming... Doing World War One, thinking, how could it possibly get bigger yeah. than this? Well, it was literally called the Great War. The Great War, not the Big War. Yeah, Sorry. The Big, <laughs> the big hey, War guys. was Michael Moore's movie about it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Everyone calls it great. But what they don't talk about is how big it was. <laughs> yeah, World War One, quite a thing. You can quote me on that. <laughs> Uh, sorry, Mr. Fader, was that quite a thing? Quite, yeah. <laughs> Q-U-I-T-E. I just had to get that down for, for prosperity's sake. <laughs> I'm actually fascinated yeah, by this how, deli. How did you start by calling World War One the big and war? And you come out looking dumb? I'm the dumb one. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that, man. That's how the chips fell. I guess so. <laughs> you know what, John? That's why this works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they had a formal opening at East 58th Street with Fiorella LaGuardia in attendance. Hmm. And it stayed there until it was sold in the mid-60s. Afterwards, moving to a location at 38th and Madison. Okay. I could read this Wikipedia page later. Oh, it closed Great. in 01. Ah, uh, uh, Well, it. owing to health code infractions. Ah, okay. As much as I love good a good riddance. deli, you know. Yeah. Bye, boy. As much as you love a good deli, you don't like a bad deli. And this one sounds like it might have been a bad deli. Russ, you were just dropping quotes like... You were coining phrases <laughs> like <laughs> nobody's business. Quote bomb. <laughs> there were already about 35 of them there. Dexterous professionals and passionate hobbyists doing their tricks and seeking constructive. Dexterous professionals. Dexterous professionals. Passionate Dexterous hobbyists. Passionate <laughs> hobbyists. Good. We're all warmed up. Doing their tricks and seeking constructive criticism. Constructive <laughs> criticism. This is just a secret warm up. <laughs> That's exactly what it says. <laughs> you should know, said Saul Stone, a 72-year-old retired Brooklyn College psychology professor, quote, we don't call them tricks. We call them effects. Basically, a bunch of magicians get together regularly at, at the back room of this deli and do tricks for each other. That's fun. Quote, you have a quarter? Jerry Deutsch, a lawyer and a CPA. Wow. No, no, or, excuse this me. Is going. He's a lawyer and a CPA. Ooh. He took the coin someone gave him and moved it from one hand to the other where it became two quarters. He moved the two back and they became three quarters. Back again and there were four. Boy, <laughs> I need a set of these hands. Is he still doing this trick? <laughs> yeah. Not to mention, eh, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Mr. But Stone. Liter so literally not to mention? Yeah. Because yeah. you're not going to mention Not it? to mention. Mr. Stone, who is idly passing an apparently solid plastic ring through a solid ballpoint pen, said he had been coming to Rubens since the Saturday meeting started more than a decade ago. Before that, magicians met at magic stores and a now extinct cafeteria on 42nd Street. Quote, all of us share a love of magic, Mr. Stone said, adding that for most, the wonder was inspired in childhood. He himself remembers how when he was six, his father took him to a show where he heard and saw a woman's severed head on a plate answer questions from the audience. He had asked her how she went to the bathroom. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hell of a story, Mr. Stone. <laughs> hey, guy, be cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. He was a kid, Russ. 
You can ask this disembodied head anything. <laughs> Don't be gross. <laughs> Beyond our fact, um, but okay. So the so you know sometimes the story's a little boring. Do you think he was just having a phase, this kid, and was just asking everybody? How do you go to the bathroom, <laughs> whether they were ahead or not? Yeah. Because if he's a kid, that could be, you get it. It is very common, yeah. <laughs> I think certainly he was at least asking every disembodied head he found. <laughs> and none of them were answering. At one table, Michael Lasher, who's 13, sat with Gene Mays. What a great name for a magician. It's really good. M-A-Z-E. You know, like a maze. Perfect. A carpenter. Not like corn. No, right. Or uh, like Willie. Right. Micah had performed on national television, had come to Rubens directly after taking the admissions test for Stuyvesant High School. He's renowned for his card tricks, this 13-year-old kid. Wow. And was teaching this 60-year-old carpenter how to bottom deal. Whoa. Isn't that something? Yeah. Here's how you cheated cards. Yeah. <laughs> so this basically all builds to, at this point, a newcomer arrived, making an entrance that was a little like the return of the vanishing woman. For until this moment, despite diversity of age and class, the only people in the back room that day were men. What's more, the newcomer did not know anyone. Her name was Jennifer Moyer. She's a 30-year-old nursery school teacher, and as she told everyone she met, quote, I really want to learn magic. Doctor, I cannot perform surgery on this magician. Why not? He's my son. What? <laughs> I but his that father drew, drew three the card. Ways. <laughs> Thank you for going the extra mile <laughs> to make that work. I did not do myself any favors. Yeah, hey, everyone, <laughs> let them have it this week. <laughs> he butchered the 50-year-old riddle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This story's boring. Let me go to the... I, oh, no, it's not boring. It's important. Okay, it's good. It's good. <laughs> sure. Oh, boy. Not to mention the end of this article. No, that's terrible. Okay, let's read it. Let's see. Maybe <laughs> I'm... No, I feel bad. Don't feel bad. That's not Stupid. why I closed it, but maybe it is on a deeper level. You know what I mean? That is pretty great. Blah, 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 blah. And then a woman arrived. Well, anyway. Here's, okay. uh <laughs> here's what I take exception with, though. The story is about her. Why does she not make an entrance in the story till the end of the story? I don't know. That's not me, pal. That's the New York Times. <laughs> that was very dramatic. You're changing your rhythms a lot this week. Because <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> As a child, she assumed magic was for boys. And just last month, when she had asked for books on magic in a bookstore. Oh, this is a fascinating niche form of sexism. When she asked for books. Books on magic and a bookstore, a clerk directed her to the witchcraft section. Oh, wow. Quote, that... I guess men are sent to games and hobbies, women to occult studies, she says. Isn't that interesting? That is very interesting. Wow. Ugh. Wow. I have no jokes for this very strange. Yeah, that is a very interesting bit of sexism. The story ends with her saying, quote, I really feel welcome here. I'm going to keep coming back. I really want to learn this stuff more even than tap dancing. All right. So she's not doing herself all the favors. Right. But also, <laughs> was tap so big that this was just a universal thing? Is that an expression? They don't mention tap dancing anywhere in this story. At all. No. It's not like no. Gregory Hines came in <laughs> and said that. Gregory Hines, also a magician. Yeah. Well, have you seen those feet work? <laughs> Magic, baby. <laughs> Giving Schrodinger's cat a run for his money. I think. We, well, you know that Schrodinger's cat is not a magic trick. <laughs> uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I give you a Schrodinger's cat. Where is he? Here's a magic trick. In the box. <laughs> a bit of uh, plutonium. <laughs> <laughs> 
Open it up. Now, you, miss, in the first row, you do not know me. I do not know you, right? This is weapons-grade plutonium, correct? <laughs> we place this into the box. Mm, looks, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that looks like, right, that looks right. Thank you very much, thank you very much. Can I ask oh you a question? No. How do you go to the bathroom? <laughs> very carefully. Here's, uh, I got one more daylight, it's a short one, but it's a goodie. Artists airs Sioux Cafe over, quote, Picasso Pizza. Artists airs Sioux Cafe <laughs> over, quote, Picasso Pizza. Why does everything Artists sound like airs. that? <laughs> You're right. Because that's what headlines do. Headlines? Bop, ba, beep, ba, boop, borp. Yeah, it's, uh, people send in these headlines for all over the country. <laughs> it's Monday night, so, you know, it must be headlines. <laughs> hey, well, what the, what's this one? Yeah, you know, Artists airs Picasso Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, make mine with extra cubism yours sounds bad but it also sounds exactly like mine which means mine's <laughs> bad too yeah we're both doing bad jay leno's pablo picasso's heirs are challenging what they call the desecration of his art <laughs> whoa by violators of his trademarks including a greenwich village restaurant that offers picasso pizza with red peppers and grilled zucchini. Picasso's children and grandchildren, the heirs to his estate, object to the use of the artist's name by the Cafe Picasso and others. This wow. poor little restaurant was among the defendants in a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy Weber, a Picasso family lawyer, said similar lawsuits were being filed this week in federal courts in the Southern District of Florida and in Los Angeles, all aimed at stamping out unlicensed copies of the art. But this isn't a copy of the art. Well, is it a Picasso pizza? Because they're like, it's got, what were the toppings? <laughs> red Not peppers and grilled zucchini? Yeah, is it like, oh, except all the red peppers. You order a red pepper and zucchini pizza, except they all come on one side, and the other side has nothing. That's mm. not a copy of the art. It's an interpretation. Don't you remember? Picasso's and it's interesting, P actually. Picasso's pizza painting? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those famous... Yeah, yeah. Sassan took a stab at it, too, I think. <laughs> Fred DiCiccio, this is so depressing to me. A lawyer for the Cafe Picasso said the restaurant's owner believed Picasso had become a common term for masterpiece. Quote, we're not talking about a pirate here, just a family operating a little restaurant. Oh, <laughs> should we see if they're still in business? Yes. Drum roll, please. Wait, what's it called? Oh, Picasso yeah, Pizza. I got it, I got it. No, 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 that's the dish. Oh, I'm sorry. I feel like they're not. Probably not. It's been a long time. Yeah, right? If they are, it's a miracle, frankly. Cafe Picasso on Yelp. Oh, wait, this is in Connecticut or something. Now. Oh, New Jersey. Maybe they moved. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on. But uh, that's funny. No, 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 no. Let's take the show on the road and go to Cafe <laughs> Picasso right now. We're going to New Jersey. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Clemenza. Were you the uh, defendant to the lawsuit from 1994 regarding? <laughs> Makes you wonder, though, Russ, what other kinds of artistic pizzas would there be? A Monet? Oh, well, or yeah, just little spots yes. of... Uh, that just looks like a bunch of food. And then when you get close, you go, oh, it's a pizza. Yeah, I think there's a Syrah. Uh-huh, same effect. Yep. Sure. Just a whole bunch of dots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just scraps, crumbs. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. When you actually eat the thing. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is garbage. These are just different kinds of seeds placed next to each oh, other. Oh, so you do an opposite effect. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. That's what it would be. From a distance, yes. I was doing yes. it incorrectly. Oh, I really need to work on my mapping of painters to pizzas. How many times have I told you that, John? A few. We've been improvising together for almost a decade. I know, and I've always screwed up the painter to pizza <laughs> mappings. Ugh. Well, we all have faults. Shall we? Let's. This episode was directed by David Steinberg, the Jewish Steve Martin. Jewish Steve Martin, welcome back. And the teleplay was by Victor Levin, who wrote mm-hmm. When I'm 64. Remember that one with you Yoko? Sure did. Well, I without do. Yoko, but with Yoko. Yes. And the story was by Victor Levin and Dan Greenberg, who, have you heard of him? I don't think so. He's only credited on one episode, this episode, and I uh-huh. IMDb'd him. And his most recent credit is being the writer of what seems like a Skinamax flick called Private Lessons 2. And he also was a writer on O Calcutta, which I remember was an all-new Broadway play. And he was also a writer on The Zack Files, which is like a kid's show. And in doing more research, it seems as though he mainly wrote cheap erotica and uh, children's books. That's quite a one-two punch. Yeah, he was an author and mainly. And then, you know. And given the topic, given the subject of this episode. Right, yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, there's two very specific things that you called Dan Greenberg for. <laughs> and this was one of them. This is one. What a weird career, though. Very strange. His most recent credit was called Private Lessons 2. I'm very interested. And I actually am, too, because it sounds interesting. An insecure young Asian man. It's (laughs) not. Played by Japanese pop star Goro Inagaki meets, they misspelled it on IMDb, unless they mean the verb, M-E-A-T. Oh, yeah, he turns her into me. (laughs) An interesting, sensual European woman who teaches him the secrets of love and life. It's Rochelle Rochelle. Yeah, that's a good description of this porn. Yeah. He did a movie <laughs> called Private School. Oh, this guy. Very interesting. Guy. Very interesting career. Great, great, great. Yeah. We solicited some uh, listener comments and thoughts on the episode. We did. Thank you to everybody who uh, who commented and yes, let us we, uh, know. We love hearing from people. It's so great. It's fun. Yeah, people are talking to each other more and everything. It's great. It's true. Like uh, just now I noticed on Twitter that at uh, Dapper Daniel 82 had said uh, he wished there were more uh, episodes available on DVD. And then almost immediately at Assassino Ezio, I assume. I might be pronouncing it wrong. Feels Italian Apologies to me, though. if we're not quite right. Yeah, Russ is sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very sorry. He I'm pointed sorry for out, everything that John does wrong. He pointed out that uh, it is available. Yes, available on Amazon. That's fun to me, though. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a people little community. People talking to each other. Yeah, people are talking. People are talking. <laughs> but uh, Assassino Ezio said, I just got to say, this is one of my favorite episodes of the show. Lila Kensel is fantastic. All capital, which makes me feel like it's a Richard kind. Fantastic. Is fantastic in this show. Just fantastic. Oh, wow. Is it, it is? Wait. <laughs> is Assassino ACO Richard Guy? Yes. <laughs> Just fantastic. Never seen him in the same place at the same time. He's Schrodinger's kind. <laughs> the whole I quit my job thing had me on the floor. And the role playing at the end is great, too. Si, senora. Este Pedro. Spoiler alert. We'll get there. And then Lauren at LMH311 said, This is the one app I have from iTunes, and I've seen it so many times I could probably recite it. Which makes this her rent. Yeah. In my mind. 
Lisa is amazingly funny. It reminds me of the app where Fran is late and the lies just keep getting bigger and bigger. What is that? When uh, Fran, she misses her period and... Oh, that kind of late. Yes. Oh, Lauren. <laughs> I would call that the secondary use of the word late, wouldn't you? Making John blush over here. No, not just blush. It's confusing. <laughs> You want to figure that one out? You can't skim the dictionary. You got to read it. <laughs> hey, look, man, I got it. The Urban Dictionary. <laughs> the... <laughs> oh man. Yeah, you got it. I don't remember any of the episodes. Yeah. Just heads up. Makes sense. She also said it kills me when Paul says, "quote arouse me." We'll get to that. Yes. Always a big laugh for her. She said, and uh, his resistance to the Spanish switch is the best, which we'll get to. It's in the the last scene of the show. Yeah, so people seem to like this one. I didn't. I did not either. <laughs> Look at that. We're so sorry. If you want to turn it off, go for it. I am genuinely sorry to all of the very nice listeners who really loved this episode. Seeing that you love this episode broke my heart because of how much I hated this hey, episode. we might come around by the end. We might. It's happened before. It has happened before. It's very true. And in fact, as I was taking notes, it almost happened in the middle. Not me, man. Yeah. <laughs> so we start, uh, we, you know, we got our cold open. We're at the kitchen table. Jamie's fiddling with a bagel bag and just, yep. you know, very carefully protecting the integrity of the bag. Meticulously yes. opening with a Pro- twist. Yeah, the good use of the word meticulous. I used it meticulously. <laughs> and then I overused it meticulously. <laughs> I'm exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> meticulously exhausting. <laughs> So then Paul comes in, he makes a goofy noise, he rips the bag open, takes a bagel out, you know. Yes. You know how couples sometimes open packages differently? But women open a bagel bag like this. Men open a bagel bag like this. That's so true. And I bet he drinks his milk out of the carton. Oh, what a slob. Uh, as long as he keeps that toilet seat down, though. <laughs> no chance, John. <laughs> so then we go to scene one, Dawn. We get yes. an intense establishing shot of the city at dawn mm-hmm. with the sun coming right through the buildings. It's beautiful. Yes. And then we go into the bedroom and Paul and Jamie are, when I say post-coital, <laughs> I mean, as we were looking at the sun, they were probably still doing it <laughs> because yeah. this is yeah, right this is, after. This is immediate. Yeah. This is the most intimate episode of the show, I would say. Yeah. In this sense. I'm glad that there was the sounds of boom. So that we didn't hear them. into this because if it hadn't been, oh, sure. we would have heard grunts. some other stuff. Oh, yeah. A lot of grunts. We could say they had a wonderful time. Yes, they did. Paul says two things which are funny because it's like, oh, this is what he associates with a wild romp. Tell me what they are because I don't know what the funny things are in this scene. So go ahead. <laughs> For those who don't know, that was a dig. <laughs> he says hello cleveland sure which means they did it like rock stars yep and he said we were like an italian couple sure yes which that is, is funny i guess but i yes. would have thought more like i don't know if i was going to be stereotypical i would have thought like puerto rican or like you don't have to be stereotypical <laughs> well he is <laughs> i know i know but i mean when you think of amorous you don't need to one up his stereotype no i'll just say when you think with of your own you think of amorous lovers, though. I go more his like Latin world, right? Latin lover is a thing, but also Italian lovers. Think of. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're right. That's an older yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. You'll allow it. I'll allow it. 
You're like, my slur is good too, but Paul's slur is also fine. Agreed. Also, you know, <laughs> naming a race is not a slur. It is what I'm doing. <laughs> we um, have a few moments of um, blissful pillow talk and slide right into the inciting incident. Phenomenal. Amazing. We were like an Italian couple. You are a perfect, perfect man. <laughs> well, I couldn't have done it without you. Well, I could, but what's the point? You know what? Why? We still got it. Yes, we do. We certainly do. Okay, so we still got it leads to a fight that lasts the whole episode. And I wrote, they fall into a very fake feeling argument that I don't really like. It happens for no reason so quickly. Yeah, because I get what he's saying initially. So what? So that we still got it being like, oh, did we not have it? Did we not have it? Yes. Did this prove something to you? But then when she says, no, 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 I... That's not what I meant. He should drop it at that point. That's it. You know why yes, that's it? Because, because they that's just had it. great sex. Right. Period. End of episode. Right. The proof is in the pudding. The end. Yeah. Because they really Ugh. have to f- push past it pretty hard to get to this fight. Yes. And then nobody, she's like, is it my hair? To anybody. Yeah. Is it my hair? And he's the, like, it's my look, weight. I said it feels more like Seinfeld. It kind of does. Like not Lots of- in the scene. It's like a just jokey. Yes. Lots of things in this episode, in this scene in particular, happen that ruin things for me in television shows. First, it's a trend for this episode, but no more, well, a few more times than here. And I don't know how to avoid it, but so much sex with so many clothes on. Oh, yeah, that was a little annoying. It's like, it's morning, and they're wearing just, he's like in long sleeves, and she's in like a thick tank top. Yeah. And they just had the best sex right, of their yeah, lives. That's a great point. Fully clothed. Yeah, you're right. They should be butt naked. Yeah. Eight o'clock yes, on Thursday should. night on the network television. <laughs> I'm saying if you can't do it. Then don't do it. Then don't do it. Yeah, I agree with you. The second thing that happens. Like just have is, them walking out of the bedroom. Yeah. Or they're both under, you know, they're undercovers. We see shoulders. Or that. Sure. Because they do that later. Yeah, like, like they're on Big Brother. You. Yeah. Or like somebody's bare butt, you know? Um, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, like they're on ABC. Yeah, or you, you get Dennis Franz in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dennis Franz, Mr. Wicker, and the two of them. <laughs> now I'm talking. And you got Woo. you got Johnny Knoxville and Ruth Bader Ginsburg on each side. <laughs> now, this is quite a night. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the other and thing Jerry Seinfeld, is- MC. <laughs> the other thing that happens in this scene and the is Japanese the are like, "Oh, Americans don't know how to reproduce." <laughs> we've done it. We've touched on every <laughs> sentence we've said so far <laughs> meticulously. Let's get out uh, while we can. <laughs> so the hair thing—is yeah. it my hair? Is it too black? It's like, yeah, it's like your what? hair looks exactly the same right. as your hair always looks. Yeah, you know why? Because this is a television show. <laughs> And so nobody has drastic haircuts because we'd notice. So don't do that. Yeah. It's not like she shaved her head. No. Her hair looks just the same as it always does. And the weight gain was just like, what? Yeah. It's Did you? Very, very. Doesn't seem like something either one of you would have cared about up until this no. episode. No, of course not. But the idea of an insecurity leading to them not being able to trust each other's feelings or expression mm-hmm. of their feelings, I think, is a mm-hmm. very good and real idea to explore in a TV show in general. Yes. 
none of it is earned in this episode. Agreed. They sort of missed the mark, I feel like. You know what? All right. If the tag, or if the cold open, rather, was a little bit of, like, if the joke was something along the lines of, like, a passive-aggressive comment about somebody's hair or things being good or whatever, like, if it was related, Uh then this scene is more well-earned. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If the seed is planted earlier. Agreed. Instead of not at all. Yes. So we also learned that they went to Aruba Mm -hmm. at some point. Yep. And they had a great time. Yep. And also we learned that uh, Jamie's got a meeting today with Ira. She's got three clients to avoid. Yes. And classes all day. So she's, you know, still in school, of course. Right. And Paul's got to get to work because he's editing something. Right. So we cut to later in the apartment. Ira's coming over for the meeting. And he comes in, and Jamie is um, picking a fight or, like, self-conscious about her hair. Basically, yeah, she's, she's projecting all of the forced things with Paul. She's now projecting yeah. onto Ira. Yeah, that makes sense, right? You know how you have one night of bad sex with your husband? Also, good. And then it take was it good. out on her. Yeah, that's right. You have one night of great sex. You get into a pointless fight. And then you're mad at everybody in a professional setting, and too. Also, the way you're mad at them is you saying things that only make sense in the argument you had oh, before, but don't make sense in this scene, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, hey, guys, I don't know if Russ and I are going to do a 180 no. on this one. <laughs> no, we're going to have fun as we go down, though. <laughs> <laughs> so Jamie wants to introduce. Let's drive this piece of garbage <laughs> to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie wants to introduce an idea. This is her pitch for Ira. It's called Buckman Bucks. Buckman Bucks. For every 10 bucks, you get a dollar you can spend at the store, which is essentially 10% off everything always. Which <laughs> <It> feels <laughs> like an insane discount. Well, it's a punch card, isn't it? Sure. Well, no, wait, but the punch 10... card is... Every... Wait, she didn't say every 10 purchases. 10 bucks, you get a buck free. Isn't that isn't what she it? said? Yeah. I think she did. That's too much. Yeah, so I was like, hey, Ira, want to cut 10% out of your profits? That's too much. <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh, I didn't put it all <laughs> in my head. It was like a buy 10, and then the 11th, you get X, blah, blah, blah. Right. This is a terrible deal. Yeah, this is real bad for him. <laughs> it's a great deal for customers. <laughs> she's very bad at her job. Yeah, yeah, she should stay away from the numbers stuff. Marketing, yes. Yeah, that's true. Maybe she's good at her job because people will come in. They sure will. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll buy him out of house and home. Jamie has to... Oh, oh, brother, my notes are so negative. Jamie has to deliver this contrived dialogue like she's still having the fight with Paul, but now with Ira as a surrogate. But, okay, so this... Here's a beat where she really gets into it. Right after she pitched the Buckman Bucks and uh, Ira reacts and it really makes me laugh. I love it. It's good. It's smart to get people into the store. Look, I can't be great every time. What's the matter with you? <laughs> I love the idea. He says, what's the matter with you so aggressively. Sure. It's, yes. it's just funny. He does come at her. Yeah. Like hard. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> he shuts you down. So it's so funny. Anyway, next scene, we go to Buckman Studios where we haven't been in a while. We have not. We've got a brand new editor who's a very old editor. That's right. His name is Sid. He's played by George Petrie, Petrie, whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We've seen him before. Did he look familiar to you? Did he operate the elevator? I'm impressed. Which, now that I think of it... That just came to me. That's Victor Levin's episode. I wonder if they're friends or something. I don't know. Interesting. Because what are the odds? I don't know. 
Huh. That is interesting. It wasn't until you said that we've met him before that I was like, that I'm like, where where do we know old people? What could a very right, old dude right, be? Right. Yeah, I mean, his career goes way back. I looked at his Broadway credits. The newest one was 1942. Holy moly. Yeah, he was he, he was born in 1912. He died in 1997, so shortly after. Well, no, I mean, I guess, wow. He was in A Mad About You on November 25th, 1997. So he must have passed away shortly after. Oh, he, oh, and he passed away November 16th, 1997. Oh, wow. So, so he must have passed away right after he shot it or right something. Right after it Oh, aired. no, I see. He's credited. Never mind. Great. He's. I didn't know you got a credit for uh, dedication. Oh, they dedicated an episode oh, to him uh, a week after he passed away. Um, but we do have him for a long time. And uh, yes. I love him. He's great. Because he's so... Should I read his obituary? No need, right? No need. Great character actor. Really great character actor. Been in a million things. You all love... Oh, he's in a show Russ always talks about, Herman's Head. Great, yes. We probably talked about him already, didn't we? In the last episode? You know, I don't remember looking at any of this, so I feel like maybe we skipped him. Interesting. He came Sorry, up, dude. Well, he comes a little late, and maybe we're trying to get through it. I, you know, I don't know. Twilight Zone, Three's Company, Heart to Heart, Hill Street Blues, Quincy M.E. You know, he's everything. He was on TV for decades. TV's mainly where he had his career. That's great. You know, Jackie Gleason, he was a regular on The Honeymooners. Oh, wow. Isn't that wild? Anyway. He was way back. Oh, so we come in there editing a film about a Japanese, how to make a Japanese garden. Yes. You think the oodles works? It's fine. What kind of grown human person uses the word oodles? It's fine. Really? I think it's the best film about how to make a Japanese garden I ever saw in my life. And you're comparing it to... Nothing. Oodles of pleasure. Oodles. I love his apathy. His apathy is so funny. It's very funny. Because it also makes so much sense... On so many levels. Mm-hmm. Because he's probably, he's an old editor, so he's got a lot of experience. So he's right. he's like, he knows it's fine on yeah. some level. But also, yeah. like, how good, you know, how much can you tweak a jet, this nightmare industrial video? So on that I level, mean, it's think, fine. Yeah, I just think he doesn't care. I mean, it's just like, it, it is what it is. And it is. Fine. That, that is the it is what it is. Yeah. You're just right. Just moving on. So Paul forces him into a fake. Paul does to him what Jamie did to Ira. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, you wouldn't be faking that enthusiasm, Sid, would you? You know, like an orgasm. This entire episode. Yeah. Like. It's really fake. Everything is really fake. And it all happens. It all happens like it's the same thing repeated three times. Oh, yeah. Over and over and over. Just. And I don't love any of them all that much. Yeah, and, I don't like we any. Don't need any of I, boy, you know, soliciting these comments in advance is tough. Yes, yeah, I feel bad. Saying. Me too. <laughs> but boy, if you love this episode and you're not having fun, and this is sincere, if you're not having fun listening to us talk about this episode, and you don't need our permission because this is America, if you're about to say you, turn it off, they will. already yeah. have. Yeah. <laughs> Like, turn it off. Skip it. No harm done. No problem. We'll catch you next time. Ira comes in and brings Paul. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, what I wrote is I said we need Ike back. I would love his to first have editor Ike back. because his first editor would be like, You want my advice? Buy your flowers. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so simple. Yeah, Ilya Kazan, you know, really, I remember he pissed off his wife. You went with <laughs> Ilya Kazan? Sure, I did. And I said, Ilya. I got some names for you, baby. <laughs> 
Oh. Yeah. It's yeah, so right. funny to me. I mean, yeah, uh, sure. I guess it's maybe bad that he did that, that he named sure. names. But yes. it's so funny to me that people st- people our age get upset <laughs> at a legendary dead director <laughs> for naming names in a hearing <laughs> from 70 years ago. <laughs> I'm furious like right people now, John. Get gen- it's like I get taking exception with it, but like people feel something in their gut about it. I can't believe we've given him so much <laughs> airtime on our podcast already. <laughs> <laughs> get your name out of my mouth, Ilya Kazan. Oh, this is <laughs> how you win the midterms. <laughs> <sighs> oh, so Ira comes in and we learn that Paul ordered through Buckman Sporting Goods, quote, diet stuff. Which basically yes. they're meal supplements. Yeah, meal, that, meal replacements. Meal replacements, right? He wishes that they were. Supplements, yeah, she basically. sure does. And they seem to maybe be from the U.S. government, which is confusing, <laughs> right? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, Ira says they give you stamina. Yeah, for I mean, ugh. And Paul's taking it as sexual stamina, and Ira means it is just stamina. Oh, God. So then, yeah, so many negative conversations over good sex. <sighs> I can't. Ugh. <laughs> that's the moral of this episode is good sex is dangerous <laughs> a meaningful sexual relationship with a spouse is a bad Ooh. idea yeah okay just may it never happen to you <laughs> so this confusion of the stamina leads to ira being like what's with your wife and paul's like what do you mean and paul's worried that jamie told ira something and so he comes up with it. He's like, oh, Jamie's mad at Fran. He makes up an excuse. So now we Sean, get not a French farce, is, but uh No, this is another classic French farce. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the thing that's missing is you don't have as many people coming and going. Sure. And not as many doors opening and closing. Yeah. But to me, it's still a classic French farce. I can, I can see that. I can see that. John, I'm so mad that this bad idea then turns into a further bad idea. If he's got to say anything, why does he have to lie to Ira about what's wrong? Oh, well, why wouldn't he, if you why didn't like that. Just, why, yeah. You're, We're about you're to see it again. Right. Yeah. Why would you not just say, Jamie and I we got had into a fight. A yeah. We had a fight. Jamie and I had a fight. Because we're married. Yeah. Every now and then we fight. And if it was just like, if he had to then be like, about what? He could say, Nothing mind your business. Or he could say, oh, weird sex thing. Everything's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's wanna, the exact quote. <laughs> you want to have that? You want you want that to be another ah, exact Russ quote? Hey, Russ, uh, you've been late for the third time this week. Uh, everything okay? No? Ah, weird sex uh, thing. Weird sex <laughs> thing. Everything's fine. Uh, everybody's getting married. <laughs> is that a Bill Burr? Oh, yeah, it is. A, Let's try to do a Bill Burr. Burr. Let's try to do a Bill Burr. Hey, Roving Runner, let us know what you think of his Bill Burr. Yeah, Roving Runner loves Bill Burr. How was my Bill Burr, Gary? (laughs) So we also find out, this is a little tag on the scene, that Jamie was cranky after Aruba, which is just one more, you know, twist of the knife and Paul's back, which also just feels like out of no... Oh, no, no, no. I don't think... Well, what did you think she was cranky after Aruba for? Why did you think that? Because that's not what I got. Wait, really? Yeah. Are you joking or not? No, I'm being serious. What did he say about Aruba? He said we found out Jamie was cranky. Uh, No, he didn't say that. I wrote that. He said something like, I haven't seen her this cranky since you guys got back from Aruba. Oh, okay. mm, Okay. What did you think it was? Whatever it was, I didn't interpret it the way that you did. 
Oh, I see. But I don't remember the specifics, so let's not get into it. Okay, I'm right. So we go later. <laughs> <laughs> we get to later. Paul calls Jamie and uh, pitches like, oh, let's go out for dinner. Nice dinner tonight. Uh, Jamie's cooking already. She's not enthusiastic. She made manicotti, which is yes, impressive. Sure. So it's probably Stouffer's. Yeah, Stouffer's or, or yeah. For some sort of frozen. <laughs> it's an uncomfortable phone call I wrote because they don't trust each other's feelings anymore. Right. Which I think is, again, a great idea for an episode. Yes, it is valid and somehow stupid. In fact, if we're lucky, they'll take another stab at this later in the series. Yes. Because it's yes. too good a premise to not right. do well. Oh, they will definitely not trust each other's judgment. Yeah, and, you're right. Uh, yes, that is most of what this show is. Yeah. Oh, are you quoting TV guys? <laughs> no, but you know, I'm. I was joking. When it was I've a callback. Se- <laughs> when I've seen people criticize Mad About You, they'll consider Paul and Jamie as insufferable. And by and large, I do not agree with that at all. Right. I love the Buckmans. But if you saw this and one. And then an episode like this happens, and yes. I'm like, oh, no, I same, get it. same. Watching this one, I was like, oh, this is why everyone thinks this show's not yeah. good. I was like, these people are terrible. Who cares? Oh, my God, you had good sex and you're mad about it? Right. But it comes from such a real idea. No, it doesn't. A real idea not executed as well as no. I No, yeah. So now we're in the next scene and we're we're back in Farrar Gantz for the first time in a while. Yep. Had to dig that old set up. That was pretty neat. <laughs> Fran's working. Ira yes. comes in to pick her up for a movie. Yep. They're going to go to the 720 at the Waverly. Mr. Gantz comes in. It's very funny to me. He this is a very funny yeah. bit. Because he says he's out of the corner of his eye. He sees Ira sitting there. He goes, hello, Mark. And he goes, Ira. That's Ira. And he goes, sorry, doctor. <laughs> his assumption is that he just had Mark's name wrong the whole time he knew Fran. Pretty, pretty which great. Which is great. And then we get, uh, he, you know, he's there to tell uh, Fran how her pitch went. They uh, loved it. They loved it. Congratulations. They liked it? They loved it. They loved it? They loved it. A couple little changes, but they loved it. Hello, Mark. Ira. Uh, Sorry, doctor. What kind of changes? Minor. Uh, Instead of a horse, it's a car. All right, that's okay. And instead of Yankee Stadium, it's Grant's tomb. I can see that. Yeah, and instead of Don Mattingly, it's Cheetah Rivera. They loved it? They loved it. Look, Mr. Gant. I told him you put it together and faxed it over there tonight. Mr. Gant! Congratulations. Oh, and uh, try to work in the mayor. So these specifics, I thought, were hysterical, and no one laughed at all i did not think they were hysterical but that's just me instead of don mattingly it's cheetah rivera that's you know what that's funny what was the second one though instead of yankee stadium it's grant's tomb yeah those are i I didn't like that i don't know why it's a little niche i guess but it's pretty funny yeah i think nobody cares about grant's tomb that's the joke but as a reference right it's a little niche it's too niche for a tv yes i only know about it because i was bored one day and i went did you really yeah it's in harlem it's on the water. I only know about it because of the whole who's buried in Grant's tomb thing. Wait, who? I've I've heard of this, but I don't know what the deal is. Don't they know? Why? Who doesn't? Why don't they know? He's on third base. No, um, <laughs> it's just a dumb, silly stumper thing to ask where you're like, who's buried in Grant's tomb? And people panic like you do. Grant is buried in Grant's tomb. Oh, that's infuriating. Yeah. And here's what I would say to that. How do you know? <laughs> I'm Grant's tombing your Grant's tomb. Are you saying sweepstakes go to Grant's tomb? <laughs> Dig and try to excavate the body? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, Rise Guys and hey, Rise Gals. Hey, if it's a skeleton, it could have been buried as early as three weeks ago. Do you like this podcast or not? <laughs> go dig up a corpse. Yeah, you think Bubba the Love Sponge was bad. <laughs> 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 We're breeding a, a 
clan of grave diggers. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, here's a sweepstakes, though. Mm-hmm. What could this product that she was pitching possibly be? Oh, that's a good one. What is Fran pitching? Yeah, what is Fran pitching? Car instead of a horse. Grant's two instead of Yankee Stadium. Cheetah Rivera instead of Don Mattingly. And see if you can involve the mayor. There you go. So now Ira brings up the Jamie thing. And mm-hmm. Jamie's mad at Fran. So now we get more forced farce. And Fran's worried that Jamie's mad at her now. So we go back to the bedroom where we've been spending a lot of time lately. And Paul and Jamie yep. are trying to get their groove back. And it's mm-hmm. not going well. And the- So they force it into oblivion. Yeah, but the acting in this scene, I think, is amazing. I think it's fine. Oh, it's just, it's wonderful. Okay. It's Emmy-worthy. Okay. Yeah, look, I think you're probably right. She may win this year. Oh, really? I'm gonna, we'll have to check it out. She starts winning soon. <laughs> she, like, she wins, and then she doesn't stop winning. Oh, so. that's very... It's just so casual. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is when the winning begins. <laughs> but I get why this makes you crazy, because Jamie... You know, they're making out, and she starts kissing down his chest, and he's wearing a T-shirt. So it's like, what exactly, what are you kissing? What, what is this? Yeah. What, what, what's going on? Yeah. But while she's kissing down his chest, he cleans his ear out with his pinky. Well, that's because she just stuck her tongue in his ear for a long period of time, and he didn't like it very much. That's what happens first. Yes, right. Thank you. I yeah. think that's very funny. I can see where that would be Because she funny. catches him. Yes. But she then they don't him. address it, which to me is very right. like that. Now it's like this is the old show again for a second. Now we're getting into a classic French farce, baby. Yeah. We got a CFF on our hands. Oh, how I wish. <laughs> the phone <laughs> rings. It's Fran. Rings. Jamie hangs up on her because they're in bed. So now, of course, that motivates Fran to really get to the bottom of the issue. So we go to a forced scene at Riffs. Fran has taken Lisa out for dinner because that's, you know, Russ, like I've had a question I wanted to ask you sometimes. And you know how I'll call you and be like, hi, are you free for dinner tonight? Let me get back to you. Can I get back to you, please? Uh, he must you know hate what you should me do now. in this circumstance. I'm going to. Well, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Mm. No, no, I know. But before you do anything really big, <laughs> you should probably have a meal with my brother. <laughs> I'm so mad yeah, the, at this, this show. This scene really stings. She orders it. <laughs> so the gag is Lisa orders a huge dinner. Like she just saw yeah. her mother huge. Including bite-sized turkey burger appetizers. Mm-hmm. Which is either supposed to be funny or nobody knew what a slider was in 1994. This is before sliders. Is it? That's very revolutionary. I'm realizing right now. Yeah, this is probably like 10 years before sliders. But didn't White Castle call them sliders? Always? Yeah, but they weren't an appetizer. Oh, well, oh. Okay. The concept of having burgers as an appetizer right. wasn't yet a thing. Yeah, six to ten more years of decadence had to build up before that was uh, permissible. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lisa doesn't know what <laughs> We needed to have a Clinton administration before we started doing <laughs> things like having burgers as appetizers. <laughs> That's so true on some level. That's literally true. <laughs> wow. Lisa doesn't know what's wrong, so she asks Fran what she thinks is wrong with Jamie. In short, she's scamming her for a, a meal, basically. Right. And she does a very good job. We get a little action with, uh, what's your name, Ursula. I do like she does a very funny whistle yes. to beckon Lisa Ursula tries over. tries to get Ursula's attention, yeah. Which reminded me, whistling. well, you won't know this. Nobody Actually, nobody will know this reference. I don't know why I even wrote it down. Fred Mertz. 
I know Fred Mertz. Well, there's an episode of I Love Lucy where they all go to a fancy. I forget why. I think they're in L.A. maybe. Okay. They go to a very fancy dinner. Just the three of them. Ricky's at the studio or something. And Fred does two things. He tucks the napkin into his shirt. And when he needs the waiter, he does the two-finger whistle and yells, Gherkin! And waves the napkin around in the air. And it's so funny. <laughs> it sounds hysterical. She's worried it's because... Okay, so Fran thinks she's found it. She's like, oh, is she mad because I took her old job? Which, right. honestly, a few episodes ago, she was mad because of that. In defense of the show, before she says the old job, she also says, is it because of the blackout? And then, is it because I brought that guy, Alan, to my party? Right. So, she's they're referring back to old episodes in a way that doesn't always happen. That's very true. Yeah, they had some writer's assistant. <laughs> they said, yeah. hey... What, what we write last what, week? What happened? Yeah, what happened last week? <laughs> yeah, they just wrote a couple of X's. <laughs> so now we're in, uh, we go back to the bedroom again. Yeah. And I'm losing so, track yeah, of Fran, day and time. Yes. As you said, Fran thinks it's because she took Jamie's job. Yes. So we're back in the bedroom. They have just finished. It seems like it was a doozy. But then was it just a doozy for Paul and sh- not her? I th- I think they were doubly faking. I think it was mediocre, and they were oh, uh, they were they were fake. going through the motions I of see. because they echo the beginning of the episode by saying, "Wow, wow, that was great!" Except all of the genuine excitement of the beginning, in my estimation, anyway, is out of it, and now they're just literally saying, "Wow, wow, that was great." Yeah, I think you're and right. And then he says, "And then he says, want to go again? Yeah, want to try again?" So that's that scene, everyone. Scene yep. eight. We're in the kitchen the next morning. Uh, Paul's finishing his little shake, which has niacin and zinc in it. Right. So Paul compliments Jamie's dress. He says it's attractive. And now she takes exception with that because when she first got it, he called it sexy. Now he's calling it attractive, which feels like a demotion. And to be honest, I kind of agree with her, but I don't care. Right. You don't care. It's another compliment. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, it's clearly a compliment, the way he's saying it. These writers are working so hard to make innocent things mean and cutting. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a farce, fellas. No. So the door goes off, and it's Fran, and she comes in, and we find out she quit her job. As a gesture to Jamie to resolve the conflict that was never there to begin with. She quit her job. Right. She's going to repeat that a lot, and... Oh, yeah. Lauren loves it. (laughs) Yeah, they have her say, I quit my job so many times for the rest of this episode. Like it's like it's a punchline to something. Yeah, she just she can't believe she quit her job. So she keeps on repeating it to herself. And that's great. But I'm just like, that should be the sort of thing where you like, oh, wow, you really screwed up. But I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. What's the matter with you? What's the matter with everybody on this show? Agreed. No sympathy. You deserve everything you get. You're a person's mother. You quit your job. <laughs> well, he's got Mark. He should have. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Jamie won't tell Fred. Sorry, Mark. We have to raise a kid on only your, on your busboy salary. <laughs> because Jamie got mad at me, so yeah. I quit. <laughs> and I am not moving out of our apartment. <laughs> Jamie won't tell Fran why she hung up on her. So they get into the whole thing. Fran's like, well, why'd you, if you're not mad at me, why'd you hang up on me? And she's like, she won't tell her why she hung up on her, which was so unusual because I was like, oh, now you two don't talk about your personal lives anymore? Right. Like, can't you say you were in the middle of an argument? Or you were doing it? Or we were having sex. Yeah. All of these things are fine. But instead, she says that Paul is actually mad at Ira. (sighs) Oh. 
I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. So now Fran's upset she quit her job for nothing. Scene nine. Yes. This scene, <laughs> if you blink, you miss it. Yep. They're in the back room at Buckman Sporting Goods. I ran Fran. Hey, everybody, blink. <laughs> <laughs> and just to be clear, we love this show. Love this show. Love this just show. Just didn't like this so episode. Much. Didn't like this episode. So a very quick scene where Iris just like, why is he mad at me? He's mad at me. And Fran's just like, I quit my job. I quit my job. Scene 10. They're being uh, casual and chill now. And they're trying to get the groove back. But there's no vibe at all this time. Like not even a little. Jamie is once again wearing a full set of pajamas. Which isn't a crazy way to start. They're at the beginning. Sure. Yes. But it is a funny thing to be like. And I, I get that they're uncomfortable with each other and that they are trying. They are trying too hard. But that being said, when it's just like, okay, how to seduce my lover. Right. Well, I know one thing's for sure, and that's that this three-piece suit that I'm wearing stays on. Right, right, right. <laughs> Fair. Door goes off. It's Iron now. Yep. And they defy the laws of physics by managing <laughs> to talk to each other. From the bedroom. Yep. Paul's shouting from the bedroom. Yep. Iris hearing him through the door into the hallway. Yep. And Iris shouting back, and it's very audible all the way to the bedroom. Yes. That made me crazy. Yeah. That's not the way sound works. Okay, cool. Agreed. <laughs> Scene 11. Now it's Ira and Lisa eating, and Lisa's eating a lot again. Yeah. There are riffs. And the reason they... It's the same scene. Okay? It's the same scene. Yep. And this time, he thinks it's because Paul might be mad at Ira because Bert gave Ira the store. And he's jealous. Right. It's almost as if they wrote one of those episodes where you show clips in the middle, (laughs) but they didn't show any clips. They just talk about the clips. Yes. That's very funny. That's as, like, dense (laughs) as this episode feels. (laughs) So the fact that he'd agree to the... Oh, yeah. I was like, it is... This would have been an opportunity for a joke, too, right? What would have been? Well, Ira and Fran do things differently. Fran would take her to Riffs. Ira would take her to, like, a hot dog stand. And sure, she'd be like, give yeah. me four pretzels, eight hot, you know, whatever. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I I don't mind. I like them being in the same place. I'm fine Well, with that. what I wrote is I think it, it means maybe Ira, and I know this is made up and I'm reading into things. That's what this podcast is. Right. <laughs> I don't like peeking behind the curtain. <laughs> my own curtain. <laughs> oh, this feels so stupid now. <laughs> what am I about to say? Say it. The fact that he'd agree to this makes me feel like he's more financially stable with the store. Sure. Then he used to, you know, he used to not really have a yes. job. Yes, he would have been the moocher. Yeah, now he can afford to, like, you know, buy someone yes. dinner. Yes, he still gets soaked by Lisa. Well, sure. And yeah. lets out a odd geez when he gets the bill. Yeah. It's not him saying, we got to get out of here. Right, we got to scram. Right. So we go back to the bedroom now where Paul and Jamie seem to live now. Right. And uh, they're just sitting there upset. And then Jamie goes, it happens. Yep. So we, we learned Paul had performance issues. Mm-hmm. That's the end of that scene. Scene 13, Buckman Studios. They're playing back their uh, Japanese garden video. And we hear a voiceover. Uh, that implies that they replaced the, quote, oodles of pleasure with, quote, a tremendous amount of pleasure. Yes. And it is a bad splice. Yeah. And what I love is it's very funny. Sid doesn't even notice or care and just says, right. it's fine. 
It's fine. Ira comes in. They use the gross Smecky nickname, which I will never get used to. Splinky. Oh, Splinky, whatever. Yeah. You ruined. <laughs> I really wish I didn't know the origin story. But, like, it's gross. That's what this show is, my friend. It's us ruining things that we like for each other. Yeah, yeah, but it's really <laughs> gross. Yes. Ugh. So Ira gave Paul a piece of the store, which is the his version of Fran quitting her job. Right. As you know, makes him a silent partner. A peace offering. Though right. then my first question was, how big of a piece? That's a good question. Not fifty fifty. No. Ira's the straight man in the situation. Yeah. Right. Sixty forty. Sixty at best. But uh, that's where things would get a little dicey with brothers, you know? Sure. Absolutely. So we're back in the bedroom. John, there's no plot to this episode. Uh, oh, really? And so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we hit this point, I was just like, you go back to the bedroom, I'm like, what happens now? How do we resolve this non-story? It's the same thing heightened, that's all. Yeah. Yeah, we get to bed and Paul and Jamie are struggling again. Mm-hmm. And this is that funny thing that everyone... Uh, the tweeted really liked. Yes. And I agree. Yes. It is funny. Yes. They're like, let's get back to basics. What are basics? Arousal. And then she tries to do something. She just sort of like rubs his arm. Well, and- it's also funny because, not, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, Paul's like, let's get back to basics. And Jamie says, arousal. And Paul agrees, arousal. And then Paul says, arouse me. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> it's great. He's not going to arouse her. He puts the impetus on her. You arouse me. I didn't even put that together after you laid it out. Yeah. That's very funny. So that's fun. That's great. Yes. And she can't. It's not working. And uh, right. she just sort of like her hand just keeps wandering down his arm until it gets to his yeah. hand. And they just sort of shake hands. Right. And Hi, sarcastically how <laughs> acknowledge how poorly this is going. Which right. that is one of the most fun moments in the show. Absolutely. And then they say, it's not going to happen. That's fine. We'll try again another time. Let's go to sleep. The first half of this scene is the best scene in the episode. Absolutely. By far. This should have been scene one, and we take it from where this goes. Yes. But scene two should not be what comes after. No. Agreed. So they go to bed, and they try to sleep for a minute, and Jamie can't. She's like, I can't can't go to bed. We got to figure this out. Yeah. So she does the obvious thing to reignite their sex life, which is going into the closet. Literally. So Paul's, you know, they go back and forth. Paul's like, the closet's only for emergencies. This is an emergency. So they get a real pretty late in the game to introduce some weird sex role play thing, John. It sure is. So (laughs) they get a kick out of the closet, I guess. They must have had a good time in the closet at some point. Maybe. And then we find out that Paul might be a foot fetishist. Look at all these shoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which one should I wear? (laughs) Okay, which ones? I can't tell. It's so dark in here. (laughs) Could be. Kicks off with shoes. Yeah. Then, this isn't part of the clip, we go from the shoes, we do a hard cut to Little Red Riding Hood. (laughs) <laughs> and just to get a picture Jamie's in the closet Paul's outside the closet door and yep. Jamie says it's so dark in the closet she'll never find her way to grandma's house and Paul says he's not doing the wolf right which means they must have done this little scenario before yes so then she says she tripped on the train tracks that old trope sure 
What does that mean? Maybe a damsel tied to, ta- That's to train tracks. That's what I was thinking, I guess, but I never think That's of those only scenes thing as starting as... with a damsel tripping. No. And then a villain saying, ah, oh, well, she trips. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tie you to these. Yeah. What luck. Yeah, I never thought of Penelope Pitstop as being clumsy. <laughs> oh, man. So then it keeps going. <laughs> Jamie keeps making connections that are so insane that I can't even imagine what was going on. Like, these are so out of nowhere each time. What were the ones that didn't make it, John? Oh, I would love to see that whiteboard. Oh, my God. So Jamie says, after the train thing, I wonder if the train stops at the beach. And she oh. uses that to bring it back around to feet. Right. By saying the sand is so hot between her toes. Right. And that gets Paul to play. Then Paul, yes. Which, again, really supports the foot thing. Right. So now she forces it into the beach. Like, the beach is hot now. Mm-hmm. And the toes thing is, I guess, a reference to the foot thing in the beginning of the role play. And she wants, yeah? When does she talk about taking her top off? Right now. Right now? Well, because she says, you know, the beach is hot. After Paul already leaves? No. Okay. He doesn't leave. So she says there's a cabana boy, and Paul's like, I'm not doing the cabana boy. Right. And then she starts to say, I'm loosening my top. There's no one around. And then he leaves. Okay. And we get this scene. This scene lit. I wish that cabana boy would rub some lotion on my back. I'm not doing Pedro. Seriously, no Pedro. It's not very crowded out here. Maybe I'll just loosen my top. Oh, that is much better. I feel so free and unencumbered. Like anything could happen. Who is it? Si, señor, esta Pedro. I didn't think he was going to do the Pedro. Me neither. It was just as unexpected and out of left field as everything else that happened in the scene. So I said, why not? It was funny a little. Sure. I don't know if you can do it now. No. You should be able to, though. It's, you know, specific to their couple. No. (laughs) Like, it's funny. It's funny that they do this weird little... It is a strange and funny... Offensive tradition. Right. If the audience at large would be able to judge for themselves whether or not they are offended by him calling himself Pedro and speaking in Spanish... And having that be part of their role play. Yes. Judge for yourselves. Yes. Let the free market decide. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) And that's that episode. And then we got a tag. So that's just to be clear, that's the end of the episode proper. Right. That. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Paul's the cabana boy. And it's not a bad way to go. Like, they resolved it. Right. They have hot, hot closet Closet. sex, I guess. Right. So we go to the tag, and we're outside. Ira and Fran are outside Lisa's door like detectives. Right. I wrote Law and Order, Mad About You. <laughs> Honestly, though. I'd watch it. I can't stop thinking about it. I love it. Ira and Fran as, like, cops. Or not even cops. Just, like, he's a scumbag. She's a PR person, and they solve crimes. Sweepstakes, come up with your best Law and Order, Mad About You. No. Tell us the plot. No, no. Forget Law and Order. Oh, you mean Just- as a structure? I was going to broaden it. I was going to broaden it. I mean exactly what you just said, John. No, no, I was broadening it, though. I'm saying just come with your best crime procedural. You know what the best crime procedural is? No, Matlock? It's Law and Order. Father Dowling Mysteries? (laughs) Columbo? 
I'm afraid I don't. I'm also afraid you don't. (laughs) (laughs) If by best you mean most profitable, well, then I don't look at the world that way, my friend. I mean most fun to do the thing that I said just now. Everybody send us your favorite Law & Order mad about you. No, even better. Send us your favorite interpretation of what Russ and I might mean. How you doing, bud? You tired? Yeah, I'm tired. (laughs) Yeah. Bring us home. I tried. (laughs) What happens in the tag? That, what? What happens in the tag? That's it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. They knock on the door. Lisa comes. I don't know what they say. It's like, we got to talk to you or whatever. You know, Ira puts his hand on her head. And pushes yeah, he her back pushes, into the apartment. Pushes Lisa in. Which is where, funny. I don't know. He's going to beat her with a phone book. I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> yeah, in there. That's why he's the bad cop. It's perfect. <laughs> it really feels like a show to me. Oh, man. It's not too late to ever to do a spinoff of that. No, it's not. So that was this episode of Mad About Mad About You. Not my favorite Mad About You, John. Probably my least favorite Mad oh, About no. You. Oh, no. Wow. You like it's it less so, than it, the hair one? Uh... What was that one called? The no. vacuum hair? Till hair do us part? Yes, that's it. Like that? That's it. Yeah. You know what? I think it's definitely my least favorite probably since that one. I oh, was having a hard yeah, time. for sure. I'm having a hard time remembering one that I've liked less. Yeah, same. I mean, there isn't one I've liked less. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, it has to happen. Of course. Yeah. You're doing 22 of these a year. Yep. Bless them. Most of them are great. Absolutely. Can't wait for next one. And also, the past four or five have been... Stellar hugely successful yeah we were due yes i'll allow it you guys oh whoa what a what prince. a guy what a yeah. mensch i am huh rise guys rise gals thank you thank you so 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 much for listening you are wonderful and we are happy to have you we sure are to have you how can the rise guys and rise gals get in touch and stay in touch with listen us? you want to you like the podcast you want to get the word out one of the best ways to do it is to go to uh, apple podcasts or itunes and uh, leave a review mm-hmm. if you're listening to us for the first time and you like it you might want to click that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to it on so you don't miss an episode you can follow us on twitter at mad about you pod and facebook at mad about you pod you can email us we love getting emails mad about you pod at gmail.com those are all the ways yeah oh twitter, that, facebook yeah. all great things that was easy there you go nailed it hey we've got a theme song or, John, you inhaled. No. Like you had something to say. I don't. Great. I was just breathing. Just breathe. Well, don't make a habit out of it. So, we got a theme song. It goes like this. This is by John D. Ivy. Thank you so much for the theme song, John. And our <laughs> logo is by Mr. Nathan Diffie. <laughs> Nathan is at Nathan D-I-F-F-E-E on Twitter. Thank you so much, Nathan. And our sound was mixed by Vuk Yovanovich. Thank you so much, Vuk, for all those Thank you, uh, cuts and trims and leveling. And uh, You know what? <laughs> all the good you do. I don't know everything that goes into that job, even. <laughs> but I know it's a lot. Rise, guys, and rise, gals. We had a very fun time talking to you, and we hope you'll come back and listen to us again very soon. John, shall we? Uh-huh. Great. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm Russ Fader. And I'm Jonathan Marbley. <laughs> and this, this is, is what, what we're, we're saying. saying.